With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here covering everything Wisconsin athletics. Over the course of this week, we will have today's episode, which will include some recruiting updates. We're going to do some returning profile players, um, uh, things like that. And then in the back half of the show, we are actually going to have an interview with Wisconsin football legend, fullback city legend, Matt Bernstein. Um, Everybody, I hope, knows that name, but if you don't, uh, he's the Hebrew Hammer, played back in 2002 to 2005. Uh, was you know, one of my favorite players growing up, and I'm sure a lot of yours as well. And then our other episode of the week is a little bit different. It's our Bravo Liberty special guest, Hannah Berner. Uh, she came on and talked with Drew and Matt, so that'll be out around this same time. Not a lot of football talk in it. Uh, a little bit different of a show, but still a lot of fun. So we hope you guys enjoy that and check that out. So uh, we've got a little bit of content uh, for both sides of the coin. Matt, how are you doing this morning? Doing great. Uh, it's nice to be talking early in the morning like this uh, before it gets super hot later on and it gets super nice out. Most definitely. And let's uh, hop right into it. Of course, uh, we've got our news of the day. The first note being Jack Pugh. Uh, if you haven't heard already, the Badgers picked up a huge commitment um, from four-star tight end Jack Pugh out of Hilliard, Ohio. Um, if Matt, I don't know if you've watched his highlight tape. I know I've watched it a little bit, and the kid looks impressive. A big, strong, six-five uh, frame, got some speed on him. So, what do you make of this commitment for the Badgers? I think it's huge in a lot of ways. The Badgers have been really trying to backfill that position of tight end ever since they kind of ran into some injury woes this past year, and they had um, you know some guys in campus that weren't quite ready to take on the bigger roles. Um, because of those injuries that, that hit so hard. You know, a guy like Gabe Lloyd probably would have played a lot more last year if it wasn't for injury. And I, I think he is such a prototypical tight end with Wisconsin. He's got really good hands, really good athlete on both sides of the ball, you know, a two-way guy at D-end and tight end. Um, you know, he at, at 6'5", 235, he comes in with really good size. Um, you know, he plays really physical, whether he's – uh, run blocking, whether he's playing on the defensive end or whether he's trying to fight for extra yardage to run through people. Uh, a four-star kid, like you said, in you know the number six tight end in the country, according to 247. I know Rivals had, hasn't yet graded him really all the way. It's just kind of one of their like stock grades that they throw on prospects. Um, so I, I could see his like composite even going up higher. So he, he's a really big get for them, um, not only because of what he brings to the football field, which is, I think, athleticism, versatility, and, and just um, a, a physicality. I think that's the main thing that you see out of him. He's violent when he's running. Um, but I, I think it also gets some things going in terms of the rest of the recruiting class, which is which is huge. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the skill set that, you know, Jack – possesses you know going into a senior season is is pretty astounding you look at him uh, of course the first look is yeah you see the size and you think oh my gosh he's a prototypical tight end but like you mentioned you see the physicality uh in, in the run blocking you see the speed and the pass catching um he was getting he was getting open on on high school corners you know pretty easily when they lined him outside so he's got the size he's got the speed he's got the catch radius but he's also like you mentioned a little bit got got the ability to to run block and at Wisconsin as a tight end you're not going to be 
just a pass catcher. And if you are, it, it kind of takes some things away. You look at uh, a couple of years ago, Jake Ferguson was primarily a pass catcher. He worked on that, got better, where he could be on the field in in run blocking downs, and and that improved the offense because it's not that uh, you know that red flag or, or anything like that. You know, when Jake Ferguson was out there early in his career, he was probably the, uh, the you know a, a down that the Badgers were throwing it. Now, if you've got you know multifaceted and you've got you know a couple different skill sets to work with. It, it makes a big deal, and, and for Jack to kind of already have that uh, coming out of high school, he's going to come in and, and get – he's going to get stronger. He's going to get bigger. Every every kid that comes into Wisconsin does that. So I think in terms of tight ends, the, the Badgers are looking to be in a really solid spot, both with themselves and uh, the guys that they picked up in that 2020 class, you know, in Cam Large and, and Cole Dakovich. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I just think that Mickey Turner is doing a really good job of building that room back up to where he wants it. You, you look at what uh, Pooh brings as well is a lot of untapped potential. He's a kid who uh, was a basketball player similar to Cole Dakovich where he came uh, has only played one year of football, uh, and that was last year, and you see what he was able to do uh, in his first year uh, on the gridiron, and it's, and it's impressive. He's a kid who's supposed to enroll early, or at least he's planning to. That's that's all things that you want uh, for a kid who's got a lot of potential, a lot of the raw materials that you can look at. Um, there's a there's been a propensity for tight ends uh, in that go on to the NFL that didn't play football early on. It was it was the basketball background, um, just being able to uh, use your body to box people out and and grab rebounds and um, the athleticism to jump and to catch and do everything plays so much into that tight end position, um, being able to high point the ball like you can see in, in his highlights. I, I just think this is such a big get, um, not only because, like you said, what you're building in that tight end room, but also this could be the start of a little bit of a run here in recruiting with a couple guys looking to um, choose their future schools, most likely in the, in the coming days and weeks um, in, in June. Yeah, and that transitions nicely. We, we've kind of looked at it. You know, we put a post up on BuckyStripQuarter.com that kind of talked about um, that this might be the start of a run. You know, you've seen some teams in the Big Ten. Uh, Penn State had a run a couple weeks ago of landing three or four recruits in a week. Wisconsin appears that they, you know, with the, uh, a sort of cryptic tweets and, and some other prospects tweeting at each other and things like that and um, some recruiting coordinators putting out uh, a couple tweets that looked like so there was some workings going on and and one of those guys is Ricardo Hallman he's got some smoke in the water he he tweeted out yesterday um, I think something like where are my Wisconsin fans at he's a three-star cornerback out of Fort Lauderdale of course you've got TJ Bowlers in the mix there who's expected to make his decision too soon between you know Wisconsin Iowa State uh, Alabama I know is in the running as is Nebraska so uh, and then you've got Daryl Peterson. So a lot of guys in the mix. It looks like things are trending towards Wisconsin. Of course, we don't have any confirmation that any of these guys are, are going to be at UW, but definitely a positive sign as you look to continue this 2021 class that is already uh, ranking better than 2020 and 2019. So exciting times uh, for the potential uh, class for the Badgers. Yeah, I think they're they're setting up nicely. Wisconsin's done a really good job uh, the last few cycles in the summer to to get guys. Uh, it's a little harder because you can't get guys on campus right now uh, in in like uh, a normal sense where you can take them on the visit and go through do officials. Uh, you know, in the coming weeks was supposed to be big recruiting weekends for them. That's probably not going to happen just because of uh, everything being pushed back. But at the same time, a lot of prospects are wanting to keep from when they wanted to commit and want to do it on their time. Um, you know, a lot of players in this group have said, I, I want to commit in June, and and I doubt they're going to change their mind. You know, a kid like TJ Bowler's just got another offer from Notre Dame that might back it up a little bit for all we know. But at the same time, um, you look at the overall class, and it's really strong. And, and you look at uh, the 2021 group, as, as a whole for um, uh, across the nation. And there's a lot of kids m- making early commitments. I, I think I saw um, some of the um, national recruiting writers talking about, I think it was Bud Ed- Elliott, said that there was, uh, at this point, there is double the amount of commits 
than there were last year. And a lot of that is coronavirus related that kids are wanting to make sure that they've got a place. There's, um, there's not as much time for evaluation. And so, um, coaches are, are really focusing on getting the guys at the top of their board and really trying to lock things down so that when they get to, uh, fall and if there is a uh, an open back up that they can get out to places and, and find the other players they need um, mine those gems you know so to speak to try to find uh, the under the radar guys who they just don't have the film yet on and um, so I, I think right now the Badgers are in a really good spot and hopefully they can keep the momentum going um, because it, it would definitely be nice to go into the summer with uh, or go into the fall with a good chance your class taken care of. I think that right now they should be expecting anywhere between like 19 and 21 uh, based off of normal attrition. So we'll see. Yeah, it's an exciting time for sure. I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of this class developing into a, a very strong one for the Badgers. Uh, let's go to our other piece of news uh, of the day, and that is the news around uh, Blake Wilcox. Kind of an odd story, something we not a lot of people expect. Expected, kind of came out of nowhere, um, but what did you make of, of that whole announcement and maybe give uh, the listeners a little background because I'm sure uh, I'm sure not everyone has, has heard the story of what happened and what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, uh, so we uh, got the spring roster, you know, right when spring practice was supposed to happen and Blake Wilcox was on there. Um, and But then it came out that supposedly – Back on the 15th of May, uh, Blake, now granted we're only hearing Blake's side of the story and his family's side of the story. We haven't heard anything from UW. They haven't commented in any way, shape, or form other than to say, yes, uh, Blake is not on the team. Um, But essentially he was called and just said that he was not going to be back on the football team come uh, this fall, and that took him by surprise. Uh, He had... Supposedly, according to his conversation with uh, Jeff Patrikas, he had taken a uh, leave of absence from the team back in the winter. So there might be some, hey, we might not have expected that he was going to come back or, um, or or some miscommunication within that or, you know, that might have rubbed the staff the wrong way. I don't know why he took a leave of absence, but nonetheless, he took a leave of absence. And at this point, um, it appears he's not going to be on the team. Um, he's trying to figure out if he wants to continue playing football elsewhere or if he wants to um, try to punt and kick, um, you know, try to hopefully get back on the team or if he just wants to become a student at UW um, in that, in a full-time sense. So I, I, there's a lot to unpack with that. Uh, I think it's still up in the air, but I do think it's noteworthy that the Badgers went ahead and brought in a transfer punter out of your neck of the woods or your former neck of the woods from Dubuque, uh, who used to be from um, the Madison area, uh, so to speak. I think it was Columbus, and um, also brought in a uh, a late addition from the the 2020 uh, class. Uh, in and so I, I think it, it tr- it's trending that he probably isn't coming back. Um, but who really knows? There's a lot more to to happen. And obviously, if UW is not commenting on it, that we're not going to hear anything about it until fall camp. Yeah, it was an interesting story. I don't think any of us, you know, I, I believe Travis Wilson was the first one that kind of uh, dug into it a little bit and, and made the announcement. It seems like there was a lot of, you know, a lot of things going on in different ways, maybe some miscommunication. And, you know, when you when you thought about it, you, you talked about the, the two other specialists that Wisconsin brought on at that position. Um, you, you kind of thought maybe something was up uh, because there there's not often that you're going to have three punters on the roster, things like that. So, I, I definitely found it interesting. It sounds like uh, you we're not going to get a lot of answers as to why or, or what happened. And, of course, if this was something uh, at a bigger position other than punter, maybe people would dive in and, and get a little bit more substance out of it. But uh, if if he's not back with the team, of course, we wish him the best, and, and we hope everything works out for him on that end. But it's it's just one of those weird, tough situations where you have things like that happen, and, and unfortunately, as fans, you don't get a lot of answers out of that. But hopefully, we can you know kids kids can still get the best education possible uh, in Madison that way. Yeah, because I mean he 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 still has this opportunity to continue to be a, a a student at at UW or to find a different landing spot if he wants. He was a fairly highly highly rated. Uh, punter in the first spot, so we'll see. 
Most definitely. It'll be an interesting transition for the Badgers. All right, you ready to talk some returning profiles for some of these guys on the 2020 roster? Yeah, let's do it. Do you want to start off with Isaiah Green-May? Yeah, let's talk about Isaiah Green-May because he was a interesting candidate coming into last season that I think we talked and spent a lot of time on. Um, everybody probably knows that name. If you don't, big kid, uh, outside linebacker position, six. He he looks longer than six five in a lot of different ways when he's out on the field. Uh, pretty skinny kid, uh, long, lanky pass rusher. Uh, coming into last season, he looked like he was going to be the guy to start outside uh, opposite Zach Bond. Not sure what really happened as to why he kind of fell down the depth chart. It seemed like uh, Jim Letter and his defense kind of went a different direction with Noah Burks. I think Noah Burks was a pretty consistent player, uh, and you knew what you were going to get with him. But Isaiah Green May definitely has some potential to be the guy that steps into that outside linebacker role this year. Uh, with Burks on one side, him on the other. There's a lot of guys in that competition uh, for that second spot. But what do you make of Green May coming into this season? Because last season, I think there was a lot of people that were excited about his potential, and it just never really panned out to the way anybody was expecting. Yeah, I mean, he, he's he's a very talented athlete, 6'6", 220-plus. Um, I, I think he still is trying to add weight, so it's going to be interesting to see um, after this pandemic how, where he comes in in the fall. Um, you know, because he he, he he talked about just the the grind of trying to add weight, and especially because he is a, a leaner size, he's gotten a lot stronger on campus. But um, you know, he was he was the guy opposite of Zach Vaughn pretty much all of fall camp, um, outside of a few packages here or there, and. Um, it never really materialized. I, a lot of it had to do with an early injury in the season that kind of set him back. Uh, he had, I think he had referenced that it kind of got into his psyche, got him down a little bit. So um, I, I think this year he's coming in with, with uh, you know, high hopes to, of being the guy. He's, you know, I think Burks is probably established at one of the outside linebacker positions, but the other one is completely up in the air. You got some guys going against him for that position. He's going to have some strong competition with guys like Jalen Franklin, Spencer Lytle. Um, you know, but but at the same time, Green May and Jalen Franklin have more of a similar skill set than than Lytle. Lytle's more of a, a a really good pass coverage outside linebacker, um, whereas Green May and and Franklin are going to pin their ears back and try to get after the quarterback. So I think the competition for that other outside linebacker spot is going to be fascinating to watch. Um, and and uh, I, I think Green May has got his, probably the leg up just because he has been in the program for so long. He's going to be a redshirt junior next year. Uh, I think it's really going to depend on where he comes in physically and, and, and less about the mental aspect of it for him this year. Most definitely. It's going to be an interesting position. I think it's going to be one of the um, you know, more competitive positions as we get into whenever fall camp starts up. Uh, I think that outside linebacker spot will be one to watch for as some of these guys uh, develop and, and, and battle for a spot. There's a lot of guys that can make an argument for there, so it's going to really come down to what we see on the on the field this fall. Uh, the next one I wanted to talk about was John Chennault. Uh Of course, the Chennault brothers, uh, monsters in the weight room. We've, we've seen time and time again that both of these guys can put up some weight. Uh, John, uh, a great linebacker at Grantsburg in high school, transitioned to the fullback spot. Uh, what do you make of John Chennault coming back this season? Yeah, I think I think he's a guy who really cut his teeth last year. He played a little bit as a freshman, didn't redshirt after walking on at Wisconsin, uh, and and I think he had a good year last year. I don't think he he wasn't necessarily the starter. I think uh, Stocky got most of the reps there, but Chanel was also used. I could see them being both used once again in a lot of ways. Chanel is is a really talented guy when you get the ball in his hands. Uh, he can not only run with it, he can catch it. I think he's still working on the finer nuances of, you know, route running, pass catching w- with that. But at the same time, he, he's 6'2", 250. He's, he's what you want in a fullback to, to try to pave the way. He's got the size. He's he's very physical, um, and, and he's, he's very strong. And, and so I, I think – it, he's he's going to be a kid who's going to be once again platoon with Stocky next year, but then most likely you know, he's he's got to continue on that trajectory. We've talked about at nauseum how how much the fullback position at Wisconsin can be just like a ticket to the NFL. Um, I think it was like almost fifty percent of players who uh, go on scholarship 
and, and play fullback end up in the NFL. So he, he, he's just got to bide his time, keep working at that. Um, you look at a guy like Alec Engold, he, he was never really the starting fullback until his senior year. Um, you know, maybe John Chennault can have a similar trajectory. Um, I don't think he necessarily has the same athlete, uh, height or uh, athleticism as Ingold, just because Ingold was a former quarterback, uh, played some running back at Wisconsin as well. But at the same time, uh, Chennault is a very physical guy that I think is poised to have another good year next year and definitely help the team out, whether it's uh, as a fullback or whether it's in special teams. Yeah, he's going to be a key guy that that works into a ro- rotation with, with Stocky, and, and maybe he doesn't see, um, you know, a hundred percent of the time at the fullback position, but he's certainly going to be in there. He's going to be in there on special teams. He's the guy that that is is going to give it a hundred ten percent. Those Chanel brothers always seem to be hustling to the ball and making plays and things like that, especially with Leo on the defensive side. So. Uh, John's gonna get plenty of opportunities, and who knows, he might, uh, you know, maybe win some some more of that job over. It doesn't hurt for Wisconsin, especially. Most schools only have one fullback, and and they play it a little bit. Wisconsin's gonna have two, and they're both gonna play a lot. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he works into the rotation. And and speaking of a rotation guy that that kind of gets worked in, our final returner profile, we'll we'll touch on Rashad Wild Goose. You know, coming into this season here, uh, you know, I think. Uh, it's Caesar Williams and Fayon Hicks probably at the two starting spots, but that doesn't mean we're not going to see a lot of Rashad Wild Goose getting worked into the rotation. Um, Jim Leonard likes to play a lot of different corners. Wild Goose will certainly be in the mix in, in certain packages that, that he does a good job of. We saw a lot of that last year, but what do you make of his game as he returns for 2020? I think Rashad Wild Goose is such an important part of the defense. He, he's He's basically taken over that nickel role almost exclusively. You know, Madison Cohn got worked in a lot in 2018 um, at that role, but then you saw last year in 2019 that it was that was pretty much Rashad Wild Goose's spot. He he played in in 12 games, got um, got involved, made an interception, um, got a couple fumbles, fumble recoveries. Um, but but he's really he's been pretty consistent in his past defense. He's actually really good against the the run as well to be able to come up and, and lay the boom um, on a, on our opposing running backs and and uh, is a sure tackler for the most part. So I, I think he's a kid who will probably be your starting nickel again next year, at least one of the starting nickels, um, and and will definitely be out there when they're in a dime or six DB. Um, set up as well, um, just because he is one of their most talented corners. Um, and then I, I'm guessing he'll probably be a an outside corner uh, during his senior year. You know, he's going to be a true junior last year. So it, it's it's telling that they put him on the field right away um, as a freshman, and he played so many games. But he, he's a starting caliber corner that they're playing at, at the nickel, and, and I think He's a blessing to the to Jim Leonard because he he's a very talented corner and he brings a lot of energy. He he's not afraid to talk smack. He's not afraid to to get his nose in anything uh, on the defensive end. And he's got good size at almost six foot two hundred. You know I think he's like five eleven two hundred. So he he's 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 got good size. He brings everything that you'd want in a corner at Wisconsin. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, Wild Goose. You you look at starting corners. You know, quote unquote. It's Hicks and, and Williams will probably be on the outside, but I, I consider, and, and most people uh, probably would, you know, Rashad Wildgoose is essentially a starter, uh, too. He just kind of starts at that nickel role and, and plays uh, just as important of a role as the other two corners, if not more. You know, a lot of those nickel corners are taking on some pretty tough assignments, so um, it, it's it's no knock on Rashad, well, not on uh, Wildgoose where he's, you know, somehow considered not a starter. He's just as integral as a part as those other two and the other guys in the defensive back room, which is going to have plenty of depth. And, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of Rashad Wild Goose earlier in his career. Uh, it seems crazy that he's he's still uh, fairly young. And then, you know, next year you'll, you'll still see some more of him. So he's an exciting player for the Badgers, and I think one that, uh, much like the rest of the defensive back room, is going to be due for a, a strong season in 2020. Anything else you want to touch on? Otherwise, we'll get to our interview well with uh, Matt Bernstein. Yeah, let's talk to Bernie. All right, guys. Stick with us through a couple quick ad reads, and then we'll get into our interview with Wisconsin legend, the Hebrew hammer, Matt Bernstein. All right, Badger fans, we now welcome on a very special guest, a fan favorite for many, the Hebrew hammer, Matt Bernstein. 
Uh, Matt, first of all, we, we thank you for doing this. Uh, I think we're both very excited to have you on, and uh, we appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Yeah, no, guys, I'm, I'm pumped to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk about that. And, and actually, firstly, before we get into that, I, I wanted to share a quick story because you were involved in one of my first memories at Camp Randall. I know that makes me sound a little young, but uh, we were, were season ticket holders at Camp Randall, and the guy behind me uh, for years when you were playing – uh, would always just scream at the top of his lungs, give it to Bernstein. It would be third and 16 and he would be yelling, give it to Bernstein. So I wanted to share that with you because it, it is such a fond memory for my family and myself to just think back to that guy. I don't know if he's with us. He was a pretty old guy, but he was he was always screaming, give it to Bernstein. So I just wanted to share that quick tidbit before we got into it. No, I, I appreciate that. You know what? It's it's so nice to be able to be told that. Um, you know, like you play football, and it's it's a sport. But I know to me and to a lot of people in Wisconsin, it means so much more. Um, it's basically like the way of my life for 37 years. And it is a, I do appreciate it, although I think that guy on third and 16 was very wrong. Um, <laughs> there's no chance I could have got 16 yards. I don't even know if my longest run was 16 yards. <laughs> well, he, he wanted the ball in your hands quite often. It was. It, I think his favorite play was the fullback dive. Uh, he <laughs> yelled for it every single time. Uh, but all right, we'll get into some questions for you. I just had to share that with you because no, I, 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 I love it. I love it. <laughs> and they're like, you got to tell them about the guy behind us. Like, all right, all right, I'll tell them. So <laughs> I would um, love to talk to that guy. Yeah, I know he was. He was quite the character behind us. He was quite the character. <laughs> I would. I kind of wish I could tailgate with that guy. Oh yeah, that would be I, great. <laughs> Well, uh, I mean, I, one thing I wanted to ask, you know, in terms of Badger nicknames, it's for me it's hard to beat the Hebrew Hammer. I think that's still your Twitter name and things like that. But it, it kind of defined your playing days as well. You know, I think to like the Penn State game, which we'll talk about in a minute. But how well did that nickname kind of define you as a player? You know, I, I love it. I mean, I absolutely embraced it. I loved it. Um I think it was really cool. You know, Wisconsin's not known for – they have pockets of Jews around, but they're not known for the whole state being very Jewish, Like unlike like New York and the tri-state area. So I, I love that people knew that about me. I love that people saw that, like, you know, my the way my style of football was, like, put your head down and try to hit somebody else harder than they hit you. Um, like running through brick walls and, and really being, like, a team player and, and – What's nice is still I walk into places and they'll be like, oh, the hammer's here, um, and and you know like I love it. I think it's so cool, and uh, you know I was able to have like a very successful you know three four years on the Badgers, and you know it's 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 great to have those nicknames and and be able to uh, <laughs> to, to to for that to keep going on. Like I love you know at Wando is my favorite place in the world. Has a, a, a chair that says Bernstein on it. Like that's my crowning achievement. I, I would frame that next to my diploma from Wisconsin if I could. So I got to find my diploma. I probably have a hundred <laughs> pictures of me on that chair, though. Um, you know, we talked about it a little bit. Let's go back to you know September twenty fifth, two thousand four. Uh, you, you said you know your second crowning achievement behind Wando's. Um, you know, I think what you did against Penn State that day was was just so damn impressive. You know, you fast for 24 hours up until the game in observance of Yom Kippur, and then you take on, you know, 27 carries, all of them basically to put the team on your back. Um, talk us through that day and that kind of career-defining moment for you. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. that The day, the day was one of the – it's probably one of the best days of my life. Um and it's so funny because, you know, you guys know, first of all, our O-line was so good that year. We had oh, like no doubt. Dan Benning, Donovan Rayola, Klinkscale, Joe Thomas. I mean, these guys were like pretty much almost all of them played in the pros, um, especially obviously Joe. We ran his way pretty much every play. Um, and it's so funny. So I'll get to the day, but John Klinkscale came up to me when I went in at tailback, and he was like, he's like, yo, Burn, just follow me. And legitimately, if you watch the film, all I did was follow him. Wherever he went, he was blowing dudes up, and I just ran behind him. Um, so, like, yes, a fat, you know, 270-pound fullback, when we have some of the best running backs, it helps to have, you know, the horses up front. Um, and then Greg Root came in and played his best game at fullback 
um, which which so which was amazing. But it was funny because the day before, I, so the week leading up, I was like, so let's go back even further. In the summer, I saw that the schedule said Yom Kippur is on a Saturday, and we're playing Penn State at 11 a.m. And I was like, yo, Dad, I don't know if I could play in that game. And he's like, let's just not say anything and see what happens. Luckily, we won three games. We were top 10, I think, or maybe top 15. And game day switched it to the most awkward time. It was like 4.45, which I don't think they even do that anymore. Um, Which saved my life, though, because if it was any earlier, I don't think I would have played. 3.30 would have been tough, um, but 4.45 was perfect. So... Coach Alvarez and the coaches were great. They're like, whatever you need, burn, just do it. Um, I went over to the Hillel during the day. I went to services. Um, you know, it was a special moment. My brother and I undressed the Torah um, while the rabbi read from it and then, put, you know, dressed it back up. So it was really cool to be to be up there and to, to have, like, a special time, kind of like family special time. And then, you know, somebody picked me up in a van, drove me back to the stadium, didn't warm up for one second, sat in the locker room, Opened, you know, opening kickoff is when I broke the fast. You know, Coach Alvarez says like a hoagie, and I had like turkey slices and oranges. I don't know why, who came up with that menu. It was like the worst menu ever. Um, but then, you know, the first half I was exhausted. We kind of sucked in the first half. I think it was like 6-3 to three or, or 13-3, to three, like 13-6. to six. It was something like really bad. The game wasn't a beautiful game. Um, it was a low score No, it was game. just beating each other up. Yeah, Erasmus James, like, killed three dudes, like, legitimately. <laughs> I'm not, I feel bad saying that, but I've never seen um, the, the, what's it called, the paddy wagon drive, not the paddy wagon, the ambulance, drive on the field, and they carted off, um, what was that guy? He was good, too, number 12, the, the Richardson? No. He was awesome, though, their quarterback. And then they had the, you know, then they got, then Erasmus knocked somebody else out. So the, our defense was so good that year that it kept, Kind of like a terrible offense in check. Um, yeah, but the second half, we go into a locker room. You know, Jameel Walker was like the four-string tailback, and he was having some issues. I think AD had a broken face at the time. Dwayne Smith's heart. Um, I can't remember what happened to Booker. Maybe it was turf toe or something. And so there was nobody left. Like, there's legitimately not one other person in, in uh, pads who could have went to play tailback. Coach White walks in the locker room. I was like, Bernie, you're in. And, you know, we're sitting there trying to game plan what we're going to do to, to do better. And I was like, Coach, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. I've been in the whole first half. Like, you watched it, right? He's like, you're in a tailback, you idiot. And I'm like, oh, yes. So I was like, Greg Root, get your mind right. You're in at fullback. We're doing this. And it just, you know, the second half, I think I had 23 carries and like over like 120 yards based off of just following the horses up front. You know, even, like, Darren Charles, who is, like, a string bean, was blocking downfield. So, like, it, I can't take half the credit for what everyone else did to allow, like, you know, I think my best 40 time was, like, a 4-7-2. So, to let these – to let, you know, me run around in, in the secondary was – it was, like, a dream come true for me. It's, I don't think it, it, it will ever happen again to see, like – you know, like, I love Mike Allstott, even though um, Greg Root and I tried to fight him once. Um, <laughs> it's another good story. Greg tried to fight him. I had to break it up. But I love, like, his style of play. It was just, like, downhill, run people over. You're not trying to avoid hits. I never, I don't think I ever ran out of bounds, um, which is, like, possibly the dumbest thing in the world. But Coach White always said, you know, bring the pain. Deliver a blow. So that's that was my style of football. Is just run into people full speed. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that was that was definitely a game that you carried the load because I know John didn't necessarily Stocko didn't necessarily have his best game in that one. So it was definitely you just kind of doing everything. Um, you know, you averaged over four and a half a crack, which is pretty damn good. Yeah, you know, I'll take it. And also in the first half, I think I had three carries for like three yards. So you're not starting at a very good point. <laughs> you certainly made up for it in that second half. Yeah, it was an impressive performance. <laughs> yeah, you talked Stocko overthrew Jonathan Orr for the touchdown. He was wide open. You know, like we had so many opportunities to blow them out. Um, there was one play on the goal line. We did a, a sweep to me. I could have, if I stayed outside, 
I could have jumped in the student section like at Green Bay, but I like cut back because I just didn't know what to do running outside to tackles. And so like we we had like two or three opportunities to really just blow out Penn State, and we just didn't do it. But it was a great game, nonetheless. It was it was special. Also, I I you know with the game day crew, they all know Wando somehow. So like at the end of the night, I was in Wando's drinking with like Fowler and uh, Herb Street. Like all the, it was just it was a surreal day overall. Yeah, it was a special performance in a, in a lot of different ways. I had, I think back to it. And I was watching highlights of it yesterday, and it was uh, just. I think an underrated story that a lot of, you know, uh, there's been so many great memories at Camp Randall, but that one was one that really stuck out once I thought, you know, looked back at it and, and realized, you know, how, how many yards you put up. I kind of forgot, you know, all about that. But, you know, speaking of Wisconsin, you think of Wisconsin, you think of, of course, great running backs. You talk about your NFL caliber offensive lineman that you played with, but there's been a pretty strong run of fullbacks at Wisconsin and, and that, you know, I think Badger fans give them a lot of love, but maybe across football you don't get as much love at that fullback position. So what is it like to, to play a position that you do a lot of the work, but maybe you don't get as much credit? And, and what can we do to get fullbacks some, some love that they deserve? <laughs> I don't think they'll ever get the love that they deserve. Um, you're talking – you know, I think the fullback position has evolved from, you know, like between me – I would say Chad Coons, even before, like, Cecil Martin was a phenomenal athlete. But that was more of, like, give it to the tailback, and you're going to block a linebacker or D-end and just straight running into people and trying to blow people up. I think now, you you know, you have guys who can move around, who are shifty, who catch screen passes, who go in motion. Um, they do so much more. Um, I kind of wish that I was in the offense now that Coach Chris is, is, uh, has implemented because I think it highlights the fullback. As no, people don't see it, but it highlights the fullback in shifts and motions. You know, they still get carries. They still get the ball thrown to them, which is great. But they're doing so much more. And, um, like, I love it. And if you're a Badger fan, I know the Badgers the fans love it. Um, but if you're, like, a West Coast offense guy, you – I assume that it must be such a pain in the butt to like to game plan against because you have to tell linebackers who are not big guys to take on these like bruising fullbacks. You know that's why I always like I love watching us play teams that are not in the Big Ten because it's a it's really hard for them, and I think that's what the fullback kind of brings like a whole new dimension to to an offense. Oh, for sure. It definitely, you know, makes Wisconsin a very different approach to prepare for. Um, speaking of running backs, a lot of talk goes to, you know, Jonathan Taylor, Melvin Gordon, you know, Terrell Davis, and uh, Terrell Fletcher, and Brett Moss, Ron Dane, et cetera. But I think a lot of people forget about Anthony Davis. Um, you know, I thought he was just a supremely talented back. What was it like opening holes for him back in the day? Man, I, there was nothing. I mean, I loved him. You know, he he was a New Jersey guy. I'm a New York guy. We were both, like, had so many um, things in common. Like, we were both huge Notorious B.I.G. fans. Um, you know, it was just fun. And, you know, like, you build such a bond with, with the guys in that in that room, the running back room. Like, I would have done anything to open a hole for him. I would have, you know, run into three guys and got blown up as long as he's scoring a touchdown. Like, that's what it meant to me. And he was so good, he made you look good. Like, if I missed a block completely, he still scored a touchdown. Um, I love blocking for him. I, you know, it's so sad. Like, even at my, the end of my career, like, injuries really at the, at the worst timing possible, you know, can define someone. Like, for me, I got hurt my whole senior year, and it was, like, every time I see Brian Calhoun, he's like, I should have won the Heisman that year, but you got hurt. And you know what? He's not – he could be right because he was awesome too. And we only oh, yeah, he could do everything. Yeah, he could, he do, could everything. do everything. Um, so, you know what? So, it's there was nothing better than opening holes. So like, Dwayne Smith, Booker Stanley, you know, like, those guys were – some of those guys were so bizarre, but it was just, it was such a good time. And if they scored a touchdown, it, it definitely felt like you did if you made your block. So, I kind of know how it feels to be a running back and a lineman. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, you think of a lot of those backs, and that's that's a good attitude to have in terms of you know 
because uh, like we've already kind of talked about already, fullbacks don't get the credit they deserve, but they're usually, especially at Wisconsin, they're they're an integral part of opening those holes and, and making those plays. So you guys were a special, uh, you know, backfield tandem for sure. After I'll tell you. I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I, I'll tell you guys a funny. So this is one of my favorite stories, and I I don't I probably tell it to a bunch of people, but it's it's not really funny. So you you remember Coach Huber, like the huge O line coach. Mm-hmm. So he would talk to me. He would yell at me most of the time. But then he would come up to me and say, hey, listen, you're earning respect. Keep putting your helmet on other people's helmets and blowing people up, and you're going to get there. You know, he, like, gave you, like, every hundred things he screamed and yelled and, like, tried to take you down. That one nugget of, like, advice was, like, worth it. So we're we're at – I think we're at Arizona. And we we have a, a power play. I think it gets, like, a yard or two. But I ear hold the DN so hard, he just goes limp and falls down. And I was pumped. No one else saw it. And, you know, I run off the field. Nobody cares. In the meeting room the, 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 on that Monday, I'm walking by, and Coach Huber's like, Bernie, get in here. So I'm like, oh, man. Because, you know, we, we didn't win that game by a lot either. Actually, Owen Daniels had a catch to basically have us win that game. It's scary. And uh, Coach Huber's like, hey, Bernie, look at this play. What do you think? Do you think you did a good job? And I was like, oh, God. And it was that ear hole, and the guy just went limp. And he's like, that's the Badger football. Everyone should play like this. We should try to kill everyone on the field. It was hilarious. I was like, man, this is the nicest thing this guy's ever said to me. And I'm like, he'll never say this stuff again to me. So I'm like, just just take it. And if I, I, I've tried to find the play. I think I have it. But it's 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 and you know what? Now looking back at it, like it's really scary to see somebody go limp and just fall down. But he got up and eventually ran off the field. I think he played the whole game. That's how much of football has evolved too. But <laughs> well, you know, after your playing days, I know you went on to to participate in both the NFL and the Arena League, which was still kind of trying to find its feet. I think at that point, uh, what were some of your experiences like uh, at that level? Uh, well, the NFL and the arena are very different. Um, arena's like, it's almost like, what do they call it when you, it's like semi-pro, right? Like, you practice, you have coaches, um, it's serious, like, you're, we were getting paid, but the league is weird, right? You play in in an arena, it's it's like a 50, 30-yard field, people can run forward in motion, like, it's a little bit bizarre. I think it was cool for, like, kids to come and watch. Because it was fast-paced, um, they tried to do a lot of like cool things for the fans. I would have never played on any other team, but the fact that Bon Jovi and Ron Jaworski owned it was the only reason I went to play. Um, I met Bon Jovi twice. I don't even—I mean, who knows if he would remember me, or who knows if he even remembered me there? But it was cool to to play um, for those guys, and Philadelphia was really cool to live in. Um, so I enjoyed that time. The Lions is, you know, the NFL becomes a lot more business and a lot less, like, locker room. You know, you don't live with the guys. So it, it's a, it just changes. Um, feels like you go from, like, being a teenager to an adult, if that makes sense. Like you have bills to pay. You have a family. You know, I sat down with a defensive end. I can't remember his name at this point. And some other guys, and they were talking about life insurance. You know, I'm 22. I could care less about life insurance. I'm trying to make the team, and these guys are like, yeah, I just got a huge policy, and, you know, we built our house, and my three kids are in school, and I was like, well, this is very different. <laughs> um, you know, but you – it's crazy. Like, you have a very short time to prove yourself. Um, the offense that they tried to implement when they went 0-12 or 0-16 that year, I thought was virtually impossible to learn. It obviously was if they didn't win a game. Um you know, it was shifts, it was motions, the terminology. It was very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it was, like, very, very, very intellectual. Not saying I'm not an intellectual, but there was a lot to remember, and they say the word so fast, and then they also will throw in, like, an alert or a kill, which means that that whole first part could be killed and then a second play. So at this point, I was like, ah, what, what, what? What's going on? So Tell me the damn play and let me run it. <laughs> that's right. Point to who I need to hurt, and then I'm going to go in and try to blow him up. <laughs> but, like, so, so I thought that was, uh, that was really difficult. Like, 
you know, you had guys who played in the league for 10 years were getting um, cursed out by coaches. I thought that was weird because um, I know that's obviously, I think, Detroit and some other places are different. You know, you look at Seattle. Like, I think those guys are getting nurtured, and they play well because they love the coaches. Um, and some other places, they don't play well because you're just getting yelled at the whole time. Um, yeah, so it was just, you know, like, it, it, it was a great experience. Like, I loved – being able to see Detroit, I mean, I didn't love Detroit as a city, um, but it was cool. I was able to spend some time downtown. I lived in a very interesting place called Dearborn, um, but it was a great experience. I wouldn't take it back. I think uh, the Lions tried to screw me in the long run, which is, I think, every NFL's team's just the way they operate. Um, but you know what? It was two good experiences and I didn't have to pay for grad school because I had money from the NFL and from Arena. So it worked out, I guess, my benefit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, you yourself, you know, you obviously have ties to UW. Um, and, you know, still at UW, Barry Alvarez, Jim Leonard, um, you know, your former coach, former teammate. Uh, what do you make of the job that those two have been doing and, and kind of to help the football team, but also for Barry, you know, athletics as a whole? Yeah, I, I mean, Barry's revolutionized Wisconsin. Uh, I, you know, coming from out of state, you don't know much about Wisconsin except that Barry Alferis is a coach and that there's cheese and beer. You know, and, like, those might be the three things, and if that's the three things on, like, the poster for Wisconsin, like, I'm happy about that. Um, I think you know, what Barry's done, he he's just like a figurehead. You know, he he's revolutionized the football team, which has brought – thousands and thousands of more fans. It's brought thousands of students from out of state to the school. Um, I think when the football team went to the um, Rose Bowl and the basketball team was in the Final Four, we had like 100, I think it was like 50 or 60,000 more applications. Like that's crazy. And that's what athletics does. I know Chancellor Blank doesn't love athletics, but you have to embrace what we are good at, and that is having such a great athletic program and I think that's what coach has done Barry's created that um and then you you're talking about Jim Leonard like who takes a chance on a guy who's like five seven you know from Tony Wisconsin like craziness right and Mm -hmm. you know what he's done in his career at Wisconsin what he did in the NFL and now what he's doing with these guys it's amazing and you know I think coach Alvarez and I think coach Chris if you look at Coach Chris's career, he's brought Badgers in, and now they have um, Kalaji, who's the weight training coach. He played. You got the kicker um, who does special teams. Why am I Melhoff. I call him Jacked Kicker because he's, <laughs> he's jacked and he's a kicker. Um, so you got Taylor. Um, you, see, you know, you got Jimmy. Like, these guys. Uh, you got um, who's the quarterback? Rudy. You got Rudy. Uh, you got Mickey Turner. You got Mickey Turner. So like, you can go on and on. Like these guys understand the fabric of Wisconsin football. Um, so I think, you know, Barry's done all of that, and he has a tie to every single thing that happens athletically. And, I mean, look at the success that so many teams have had. I mean, I can't believe the basketball team won the national championship this year. <laughs> the national champs. Um, so right. I think that's the best. It, that T-shirt, I can't wait to get it, the one that says simulated, <laughs> yeah. simulated national champs. Um, so that's all, you know, driven by Coach Alvarez. And, you know, he took a chance on me. He sat in my house and was like, we want you here. Like, how, I, I think that's amazing. Like, he can take talent and really refine it and and make it. Like, look at how many people in the NFL he's turned out. It's crazy, the numbers. And now Coach Chris is doing it. And you have guys who you think would never be, like, NFL stars, and they're playing at such a high level. Look at Ryan Conley. I, I'm a Jets fan, but I watch mm-hmm. all the Giants games. Look at how good that guy was. He was great for the Badgers because he was, like, a utility guy. But now he's a starter, and he was playing fantastic until he got hurt. So, I mean, like, that's what Barry's built. And Coach Chris is continuing to build on it. I, I, I'm praying and hoping that Jimmy's the next coach there. And he stays in Wisconsin for the rest of his life because he he could be the next Barry Alvarez. Um, so I, I just love – you know, I love those guys. I, I think they – you know, my wife met Coach Alvarez this year. And, you know, like she's, a, she's from Verona. So it, it's like she met like a superstar. 
Oh, most definitely. I mean, yeah, yeah, he's a he's a legend across the state, you know, no doubt about it. I think everybody would would be a fanboy or girl if they bumped into Barry Alvarez anywhere. Uh, <laughs> oh, for uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in terms of, you know, right now, you know, the the current state that we're in, no live sports on to entertain us. I think uh, the Last Dance documentary on ESPN was kind of uh, something that was w- widely watched and discussed. I'm a few episodes behind, but I've been watching it a bunch. <laughs> Um, and a lot was made about Michael Jordan and his leadership. You know, during your days, was there a player um, that was that was a really strong leader at Wisconsin, or, or anything that made him kind of stand out in your eyes? Yeah, you know, you you always had guys who led by example. You had some vocal guys, and you had some guys in between. Like I was an in between guy. Like I worked my butt off, but I would always, you know, like I was a pretty positive guy. I think people loved hanging out with me on and off the field. Um, I think I thoroughly enjoyed my time off the field, um, going to the bars, you know, experiencing, you know, the frat, uh, the frat experience. Although I wasn't in one, I went to a bunch of them. Um, I, so I think there was, there was that aspect. People liked being around me outside of football. And then at football, they knew I was going to work hard, but they knew I'd joke around and keep it light. Um, you know, you had guys pretty much like the, the O-line. You know, Joe Thomas wasn't a very vocal guy, but when he did speak, you listened. But he led by example. You know, there was in the weight room, there was all these platforms. And all the way on the left were the guys who were lifting, like, the major weight. And I don't want to pump myself up, but I was down there lifting the major weight. I think people looked down there, you know, to get a little bit of drive. You know, some people were down in the morning. You know, at 6 in the morning when you're lifting power cleans, that's not easy. So I think people were, you know, like you're getting people up, getting them excited. You know, Brandon Williams, always vocal. Every day, it could be like three in the morning, and he woke up and he's yelling at people in in a positive way. It was just you know he'd be yelling at the coaches. I've never seen anyone else be able to do that. Um, You know Anthony Davis. You know guys we've already mentioned. um, You know like Owen Daniels led by example. Lee Evans. If Lee Evans told me to like go to Philadelphia and get a sandwich, uh, a Philly cheesesteak, I would do it. Like (laughs) you, I would do anything for that guy. you know, so like all these dudes were leaders. I, I mean, I mentioned a lot of offensive guys only because I spent a majority of time in the offense. You know, on defense, you had Antosh Hawthorne, who was super um, vocal. You know, you had Dante Sanders, who was super vocal. But then you had Jeff Mack, who was possibly one of the best inside linebackers, who wasn't – he was vocal enough, but, you know, he led by example. And people you – know, he, he was someone that you would follow. And then you had Jimmy – um, who everyone looked up to, even though everyone looked down to him, but everyone looked up to him. <laughs> uh, in, in terms of the current team, you know, the Badgers uh, are, and really every team across the country, are in the middle of a very weird and different offseason than they normally accustomed to. Most upperclassmen are probably a little bit, you know, okay, I guess you could say, in this situation based off missing spring ball. But what kind of effect could the lack of spring ball and, you know, a good chunk of this quote-unquote voluntary workouts, which we know basically it means get your ass there, um, have on younger, less established players? Yeah, no, I I mean, uh, I think the product of football will be down this year only because nobody knows how much can you honestly be doing right now. Like, no one's throwing you a football. Like, what is your dad out there throwing you the ball? Like, I don't know how much actual skill work you can be doing, footwork and lifting and jogging and doing push-ups, but the actual football skills are hard to work on by yourself. I think I legitimately hated spring ball. To me, there was no there was no goal at the end of it. You did three weeks of football, and you're basically trying to get the young guys caught up. Um, but you're still, like, running powers and running into people. And I was like, this is a headache I don't need to be really part of. But the, you can watch the young guys just get better and better, and the coaches learn to trust those guys to play. Um, that's how I got my start uh, was through spring ball, just going all day and, and putting as much on the field as possible. So I think you'll see the product of college football. It'll be different. The SEC will probably go back to normal, right? They'll probably start practicing July. I don't know about the Big Ten. I don't know about any of the other, you know, the other um, conferences. You know, I feel bad. It's such a terrible time to be, like, a college student, a senior. Like, who knows what's going to happen in your life? Who knows if you're playing football again? I, to me, it's 
I just feel bad for everybody. Um, you know, like what happens if you if you're a freshman coming in and you like could possibly like Jalen Berger. I want that guy to start, but how how can he do that now? So I think you know the coaches have to take a, a step back and I guess really see how to project each player differently. And you know, I was I was actually on a, a Zoom call with Jimmy um, and Owen Daniels and some other guys and. I was like, Jimmy, what are you guys doing? And he's like, man, this is going to be real tough because they're trying to get guys in to work out. And he said that they're going to do groups of 10. They have to stay as separate as possible from another group that could be on the whole other side. And if one guy ever gets test positive, the whole group has to quarantine for 14 days. But he's like, how do you get guys to do that? We were in college. You couldn't quarantine us for five minutes to not be around each other. So he's like, he's like, uh, we're still struggling with how we're gonna, you know, move forward. What did, look at what Michigan just did. They might not even have a if they don't bring students back, they might not have a season. I mean, that, to me, all this stuff is crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces, and and I don't envy being in in Leonard's spot or really any coach right now, just because there are so many variables that are, you know, really out of your control. Like we're, you know, it's not like this is something that fans or, or the coaching staff can combat in any real way is they don't have a control. You're going against an enemy that, uh, you know, you, you can't really defeat um, unless there is a vaccine or something found. Um, you know, but uh, around college football, the landscape, a lot of coaches and media members have been saying that they think that these strange times benefit teams with a very strong and deeply entrenched culture. Uh, do you think that the Badgers fit that mold, and, and do you think that they're going to handle it just fine or at least a, as good as everybody else? Yeah, I think the Badgers will handle it just fine. Um, you know, they they are – you know, it, it's so tough because nobody knows this has never happened before. So we have no idea how anyone can, is going to handle it. You don't even know if the university will be open in February – I mean in um, in the fall. So – I think the Badgers will be just fine. I think, uh, you know, it's, I like to see team, like a team like Michigan say, we're not going to bring our players back if the school's not open. You know, like, we should never put football ahead of or making money off of football ahead of, like, the health and the safety of the actual players, the coaching staff. You know, you still have a ton of people who need to be around all the, all the time. Media, um, you have the training staff, you have people who, you know, even serve food and who – and who do all these other things behind the scenes, that's a lot of people now in a lot of, in a small space. You can't brand those huge, but, you know, people are in, you know, the training room. So it's, it's how do you handle all these things? How do you make it safe for the players? How do you make it safe for the staff? You know, like for me, I just want this. Like how do you ask Jalen Berger from Jersey to come to Wisconsin? How did he get there? Like is he going to fly in a plane now? Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like you might be putting a lot of people in a position to make an uncomfortable decision. Like when Jay, when John Detman was like, I'm like, John, you know, or I said, you said, John, I have to do push-ups for that. I said, hey, coach, do I have to come back in the summer? He's like, no, this is optional. You don't have to come back. But he's like, but then you don't have to play either. So it's, it's optional to a, you know, it's optional, but you're picking if you're going to play or not. So I was like, oh, then that makes sense. I'll be back, you know, June 6th or whatever day we had to be back. So I don't, I don't know how they handle it. I think it's a constant everyday evolution of the coaching staff is talking about how can we make this happen that's safe, healthy, and makes sense to what everybody else is doing. So I don't know. I'd love to hear what you guys think. I mean, this is – we're in uncharted territory. Oh, it's super, it's such a weird time, really, but I'm glad you brought up Detman's name because he, you know, he's a rock star in terms of the strength community <laughs> as well. I mean, he, I remember um, learning from him and, and talking with him before, and he is extremely smart, you know, worked with Olympic athletes, and obviously what he did at Wisconsin um, is is very often overlooked at, at times when he was really one of Barry's right-hand men. Oh my God, he was Barry's right hand man. I mean, he he created. I think you know, like I've never seen people get so strong, um, so powerful. You know, it's it's amazing. He he didn't. He never asked us to put on like 500 pounds and do it once. He would say, put on 400 pounds and do it five times. 
You know, so we weren't maxing out, which I think is super dangerous. When you put 1,000 pounds in your back just to do it once, or you can do 500 – I mean, these are huge numbers, but you can do 500 six times, and it's safer. I mean, how many people think that's safer? But it is. Um, so I think he was ahead of the pack in a lot of different ways. Like, he used, he used to create cards for the week with your – so everyone was individualized. You know, he, would, he was there at, like, 3 in the morning. He'd stay late. I don't know how that guy operated without – I think he slept, like, three hours a day. He was – that guy scared the living <laughs> crap out of everybody. <laughs> so it's actually really funny because, you know, you were never late. You were never late. So if we had a 6 o'clock um, workout, I love the morning workouts because you're done. You had to be in the weight room at, like, 5.45 in the morning. Do you know how early that is for, like, a college person? And you would never, no one was ever late. And if you were, he would, it was bad news. It was bad news. Um, I love JD so much. Like, he's the reason that I have, like, 12 clocks everywhere. Because I can't be late any, to anything because of him. He scares me. Yeah, I mean, he was a very intimidating individual. That is definitely for sure. Um, you know, you had brought up Jalen Berger's name. Um, the 2020 Wisconsin recruiting classes is touted as one of the best ever in program history. And, you know, these prospects are slated to join the program here in the coming weeks or months. You know, who really knows at this juncture? Um, right. How quickly could you tell when a young incoming freshman was going to be a stud? Like, were there any aha moments when you saw a guy come in and you are like, oh, my gosh, like, this kid is going to be crazy? Yeah, I mean, you look at Joe Thomas. Like, he came in, and you could just tell by the way he moved. I mean, Joe's not a huge, fat O-lineman. Like, he was a skinny-ish guy, but he was strong, and he could move, and you're just like, wow, this dude is going to be special. You know, and then you, the, the, I think the skill guys are the easiest guys to, to tell. They also can do – you know, like if you're a cornerback, if you're fast and, and quick and you can understand, like, the scheme – you have a chance to play. I think it's the, you know, the O-line, um, I say fullbacks because it's a tough position, um, tight ends. Like, those are tough positions to, to just see, like, a guy go in and possibly be a starter because you have to learn so much, not just physically, which I think O-linemen have to do so much um, in that area. The mental part of being an O-line is so hard. I mean, it's – you're reading fronts, you're reading DBs, you're reading linebackers. You have to know who to block. You have to trust who to block. I think that's – when you see um, pass uh, protection break down, it's because somebody doesn't trust that somebody else has that guy blitzing and to let him go. And so, the you know, the back will pick him up. So, it's to me, all that is very difficult. And I think it's what, – what I know Jimmy and those guys are doing now is like a lot of Zoom calls and a lot of Zoom meetings – so it's a lot of mental game, which is great, but you have to take the mental and then bring it to the field. And without doing that, I don't know how much it sticks right this second. I just think, you know, I think as a running back, if you can hit the hole and you could – like Jalen Berger's not going to be in on pass protection plays, right? Groshek is great. We'll have him. He's perfect. Um, I think Jalen will be slowly – at this point, now that he's probably not at this university – He'll be slowly brought up to speed. I don't – I want – I had high hopes that he would be, you know, the maybe the number two guy, maybe the number one. I'm, I don't know how to – I don't know how he could be that now because who knows what's going to happen. Right, right, most but, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll leave you with this, Matt, because it's been a great conversation, and we, uh, of course, again, are very appreciative of you having it on. But who is a, who is a player or, or – player coming up this season that you're kind of most excited to see, you know, of course, assuming a, a season happens and everything like that. Oh, um, I mean, who is it? Is it the Stocky brothers? Yep. I love those guys. First off. Christian All brothers and, and yeah. Mason Stocky. Oh, my you gotta, God. You yeah. got to mention the fullbacks. You got to <laughs> mention the fullbacks, yeah. yeah uh, those guys, those guys, I mean, they look like pure specimens. It's like a oh, little yeah. bit. Wait, who's the, the brothers? Don't they have like thirteen kids, like brothers and sisters? There's, Doesn't their family? Yeah, there's a couple different brothers. Uh, you know, on the team, you know, you've got uh, you've got a lot of history in terms of families and things like that. But uh, I know the Schnall brothers are, I think, are the two uh, we're talking about in terms of just 
pure physical beast in the weight room, uh, much probably like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I I don't I was a physical beast, but what did uh, there's a guy on I watched some dumb powerlifting because uh, there's nothing else to do now <laughs> in COVID, um, and the guy the guy said it. I think it exactly it it meant he was saying it to me. He said because. Uh, they're like, you know, some one of the questions was, why do you, why do you, why are you guys so fat? Like, why do you weigh so much? And the dude's like, you got to weigh a lot to move a lot. And I was like, man, that's me. <laughs> me to a T. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm I'm always excited to watch and and watch the younger guys. You know, I obviously watch. You know, I'm excited for Jack Cohn. I love him. You know, I, I you look at the Northwestern game, and I think they ran the same play five times. It, eventually, someone's going to be like. This is the same play. I'm going to undercut the corner route and just pick the ball off. Ask him to do more. The games when you ask him to do a lot more, he, he's produced in my eyes. When you ask him to do, like, a little bit of these things, you know, he doesn't do well. Also, I, I'm, I'm going to miss Cephas a lot too, though. Most definitely, yeah. They're both, you know, tremendously talented. So I, I like that perspective of, of maybe taking the, you know, as a Jack with the senior, you know, taking the, the handcuffs off a little bit and just letting him uh, throttle the ball and make some plays. That'll be interesting. Yeah, to let him throw downfield. Yeah, most definitely. All right, well, we've we've kept you. Yeah, I think this has probably been our longest interview, and we're very appreciative of it. We don't want to keep you too long, but it was phenomenal. Uh, Matt, you're welcome on any time uh, to the podcast. We loved having you on, and uh, we greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Whenever you need me, I am always available – Passion is talking college football, but really, Wisconsin football is my favorite thing in the world. So most definitely, most whenever you want to talk, let's do it. All right, all right, we'll do that. (laughs) All right, Badger fans, well, thank you as always for listening. We hope you enjoyed uh, the episode. We'll be back with you guys next week, and as always, on Wisconsin. Come on.